This is Daryl Wood, host of Run to Win, the Daryl Wood Show on Faith Talk 1500. First, let me say this show is your show. That's why no matter what I discuss or which guests I interview, your input is valued. If it's in the news, on TV, or at the movies, whether political, social, economic, or whatever, at some point I'm talking about it on Run to Win, the Daryl Wood Show, Monday through Thursday from 4 to 6 p.m. on Faith Talk 1500. Real life. Real life. Real life. Real life. Real life. Hey, wait a minute. What's the name of your church? Real Life Christian Church. Real life. Get real with another edition of Think About It. Real life messages from Pastor Dennis Rasper from Real Life Christian Church. And now, let's listen to the message from Pastor Rasper. So as we look at love today, on this Valentine's Day, we want to look at the biblical definition of love. Because the secular world and the media will offer you a sentimental schmaltzy, just wrong idea of what love really is. And in the short time we have, let's try and get a handle on what the biblical concept of love is in the original Greek word, the word agape. And so we're going to go to Ephesians 5, verse 1. Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly beloved children, and live a life of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. And folks, I need to say this is God's word. He wrote this. He wants us to be imitators of him. And you say, well, well, that's, that's impossible. He's perfect. Of course it is. Of course it is. That's why he wants you to imitate him and come close to that standard as you can in one, time, in one lifetime. He wants you to imitate him in every way, especially in this word of God today, in this matter of love. He tells us to imitate him because we're his children by faith. So let's live a life of love as Jesus did. And Jesus' love was unconditional. It was sacrificial. This word of God says it was like a fragrant, fragrant offering And all that means is the way that Jesus loved us really pleases the Father. And so, folks, that's where God wants us to be. He wants us to imitate God in every area, but especially in this matter of how we love. Now, before we can practice love, we need to understand God's love for us. And we've got to get into some theology here, folks. We've got to get into some doctrine. Our ability to love is drawn from God's love for us. And the more we understand that, that our ability, the very capacity to love is drawn from God's love for us, the more we're going to be able to love other people. And that begins in our home, our families. So do you want to love biblically? Then we need to begin to understand God's holiness. That's where it all begins. I'm going to give you a catechism definition of holiness, Martin Luther's definition, sinless and hating sin. Sinless and hating sin. God is without sin, absolutely perfect, and he hates sin. And there's not a person alive who can understand the holiness of God. We use inadequate words to define God's holiness like sinless and hating sin, but that doesn't do it. See, holiness is part of God's character. It's part of who God is. It's it's that holiness of God that draws out the worship in you. And if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, I mean a true believer in Jesus Christ, and you're drawn to worship God, it's that holy aspect of his character that literally draws the worship out of you. It's, 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 It's sinless and hating sin. There is no word to tell you how God hates sin. And you don't think like that, and neither do I. We brush it off. Man, this is, this is impossible to describe. I mean, I'm... See, God doesn't... I don't want to make you think God hates the sinner. 
But man, the way he hates sin, I, I can't even put it into words. I mean, anything that is contrary to his perfect nature, he hates. And there's got to be some wrath directed against that sin. There's got to be. But, but it's not, it, it's, it's something settled in his being and his holiness. It's not an angry outburst. It's hard to put this into words. Last week I was writing this message. I think it was Monday afternoon about 4 o'clock. And I'm just, I'm thinking through this message and bingo, this popped into my mind. And this had to be from the Holy Spirit because I thought about a person about whom I said earlier that week or earlier, you know, a few days earlier, I'm better than this person in certain given areas. And the Spirit just <clears throat> kind of knifed me with that. And I said, Lord, I mean, who am I to think I'm better than anybody, you know? And Bob, I sure went before the throne. And I said, Lord, you got to change me from the inside out. I can't, I, I just, this is not a way I want to think. This is not a way I want to be. you got to change me. Do whatever you have to do to change me. But see, God hated that sin. And he kind of got to me. And that was love. That was mercy that he got to me and brought me to repentance. But God hates that sin. It's not a vicious hate. See, that's what you got to understand. Now, when you understand how God hates sin, and how sinless he is, and how there has to be some kind of wrath or judgment against sin. Now you're getting to the meaning of Valentine's Day, see. You're getting to the love of God. you got to stay with me here. you got to stay with me here. When we understand that hating sin is part of God's nature, that every sin is an affront and aversion to him, that words will never describe, now maybe, maybe we can begin to understand even a little bit the depth of his love when you understand how he hates sin. It's the way you got to train yourself to think. You gotta, when you sin, man, you got to say, this is no small deal. I don't care what it is. It brought my Savior out of heaven. I just made me think about Matthew chapter 21, an angel. When you think about how God say, hates sin, an angel appears to um, Joseph, and he says... What am I thinking? Matthew chapter 1, not 21. Matthew chapter 1. And the angel says to Joseph, but after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, and he said, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what's conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Think about that. And she will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save, save, save the people from their sins. And so right away you see God has a plan. He's effecting a plan to save sinners like us. And now you get to Luke chapter 2, and these words that are just read so matter-of-factly sometime and just kind of a beautiful routine passage at Christmas time. I mean, these really take on meaning when you consider how God hates sin and what he had to do to deal with sin. I'm looking at Luke 2, verse 6. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn a son and wrapped him in clothes or swaddling clothes and placed him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. See, that's called the incarnation, the incarnation, the holy God. I mean, God, who, whose nature is holy, and by nature, he's a spirit being, becomes flesh. I mean, do you see what's going on here? God the Father is effecting a plan that spares us from the penalty of sin, which is permanent separation from his holiness forever. God the Father, or God himself, the second person of the Holy Trinity, Jesus Christ, who came into the world, would bear that sin. And that just 
That's what I think about when I read this passage, but you have to see that passage in the light of God's perfect holiness. And Jesus Christ would get to a point in his humanity where he would cry out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And all, now just think about this. All the wrath that the Father had in his being against sin, all that hate for sin, not the sinner, all that hate against sin, anything that that conflicted with his holy nature would come down on his own son, and Jesus knew that. And he was bearing the full weight of it, man, the whole deal for my sin, for my thinking I was better than somebody else. That for every time I get irritated with people, he was taking that. And, and you can really get into Matthew, and you want to see the love here. He, 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 he anticipated that cross. He knew it was going to happen. He goes to the Garden of Gethsemane in Matthew chapter 26, and I'm looking at verse... 37, 26, 37 of Matthew. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, James and John, along with him. Now listen to this. I've never seen Jesus this heavy. I've never seen him this transparent. I've never seen him this, this burdened. He took the two sons of Zebedee along with him. He's, going, he's in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he began to be sorrowful and troubled. And then he said to them, listen to these words. I mean, there is so much feeling and depth of emotion here. He said, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. That's what he was feeling about hanging on that cross and bearing our sin and being rejected by his father. And, and he willingly took that, man. That's what I'm trying to get at. The father was pouring out his hate for sin on him and Jesus was in such anguish because he knew he'd be separated from his father. He's, he's, he's taken it. And the only thing that drives him to do that, folks, that drives the father and the son is pure love. Get a hold of that because the bottom line, the bottom line is 2 Corinthians 5.21. And it doesn't get any better than this. Listen. God made him, verse 521 of 2 Corinthians, to be sin. That's Christ. God made him, Jesus, to be sin who had no sin, that in him we might become or totally receive the righteousness of God. Man, you gotta, you gotta, gotta get into that. I mean, that's, that's theology, but that's everything in your life. All that's saying is he gets all your sin and he bears it and the father punishes him and not you. And we get his total righteousness and we are acceptable to the Father for heaven. And that is the story of love. That's it. That's where it begins, man. When you sign a Valentine or write, I love you, what does it mean? Unless you get a hold of that, the holiness of God, you're never going to love biblically, I'll tell you. You won't. Your capacity to love derives itself from that. And here's another doctrinal point before we get into some applications here. We just need to know this. When you see Jesus in God's word, you see the Father. Whatever you see in Jesus Christ, that is the Father. He is the image of the Father. Jesus is every bit and every wit God. He and his Father and the Holy Spirit are absolutely co-equal. And so you go back to Ephesians 5, verse 1, and it says, Be imitators of God. So the way you see the Christ's love is exactly the way the Father and the Spirit loves us. And Jesus' love is unconditional. And so the first question we ask is, your love for people unconditional? You know, I just look at the life of Jesus. He chose Simon Peter as his disciple. 
and he changed Peter's. He changed Simon's name to Peter, meaning the rock, because Peter would be the leader of all the disciples. And then Jesus nurtured Peter. He bore with that guy. He trained Peter. He was patient with him. And Jesus was the most important thing, quote unquote, that ever happened to Peter. Ever say to your husband or wife, you're the best thing that ever happened to me? You should say that, okay? And then, and then, and then comes that point where they apprehend Jesus, and they're going to take him to trial, and all that stuff is going to come down on him, and Peter follows at a distance. And you know how that came down. I mean, pe- people look at Peter and say, oh, I recognize you. You're one of his disciples. And Peter said, yes, and I'm proud of it, and I would gladly die for him. No, you know, he didn't say that. He said, Jesus? Jesus who? No, no, I, I, I never met the guy in my life. And he said that with curses, see. And the point is, Jesus did not disown Peter. See, this is unconditional love. He accepted all that bad stuff in him. And I look at what Jesus did do with Simon Peter in John, chapter 21. Peter had denied him three times. Now we're talking about unconditional love. And Jesus didn't say, hey, after what you did to me, I just tell you, I don't want a thing to do with you, Charlie. Get out of here. No, he didn't do that. He found Peter after he rose from the dead. And he said, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said, feed my lambs. He said it a second time, do you love me? He said, yes, I love you. Feed my sheep. Third time, do you love me? Yes, I love you. Feed my sheep. And so he denied him three times. Our Lord reinstated him. He gave three times. And what he's saying is, I still love you. You're still valuable to me. See, love is unconditional. And the deal for you and me is people are going to hurt you, hurt us. They're going to ignore you. They're going to disappoint you. Hurt, ignore, and disappoint. And the stories are voluminous about kids whose parents raised them and trained them well. And those kids abandon those values, and off they go in their own world. And there's a hurt there, but you don't disown them. Or here's a wife who's very upset and very distressed. And her husband is off in his own world somewhere. And guys, we need to do this, man. When they're upset and distressed like that, we need to drop what we're doing. Just just probe into their lives. Say, what's going on? Sit down. Take the time. Stuff like that. And when you don't do that and she expects that, I'll tell you what, they're going to be disappointed in you, but they don't stop loving you. They get over it. And that works both ways. I heard Bible teacher Chuck Swindoll say this last week, that unconditional forgiveness, now think about this, unconditional forgiveness works better than lingering probation. See, what doesn't work is, well, we'll see how you do. See if you're going to shape up, okay? See if you do it the way I think you should be doing it, and if you do, you will be back in my good graces, and then I'll accept you again. And that accomplishes nothing. All it does is build resentment. And what you need to do is just love that person unconditionally, and that means you forgive unconditionally, and you tell them you don't have to perform, or you lead them to believe that you show them that you don't have to perform for me. I just forgive you. And see, that makes people want to change. I apply this primarily to family, but you fill in the blanks here. Who's hurt, ignored, or disappointed, you see? I mean, people you love. Jesus was a real man. He was a real man. He was a true man. Can you imagine what's going on inside Jesus? I mean, a real man. He's true God, but he's also a true man. Can you imagine what's going on inside Jesus when his disciple that he trained and nurtured and loved and everything else is saying, I never, I, I don't know this guy. I never met, with curses he's saying, I never met this guy. People are going to hurt you. But biblical love is absolutely unconditional. They're going to lose their hair. They're going to get a belly. They're going to get this piece of flesh as they get older that hangs down from their neck. And you never stop loving them. 
It's a forever commitment regardless. So right now you may be, listen, right now you may be shutting somebody out. Someone may be on probation. Or you may be shutting them out of your life. Deal with that and do the biblical thing and be imitators of God. So biblical love is unconditional. It's also sacrificial. I look at that great incarnation of Jesus Christ again. I look at that great sacrifice that our Lord made. And I go to John chapter 17 and verse 4. Our Lord's about to go back to heaven. And he says to his father, he says, I brought you glory on earth by completing the work you gave me to do, John chapter 17, 4. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. Again, and now, Father, glorify me in your presence. I'm coming home with the glory I had with you before the world began. What's our Lord saying? I'm going home and I'm going home to glory. And what is glory? Glory is heaven. And heaven is perfect. Perfect fellowship, perfect joy, perfect intense love between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And the deal is, folks, he left it. That's sacrificial. See, true love does that. Jesus made that sacrifice. He left the glory he knew because that was his Father's will. And he loved his Father, and he loves us the same way. And he knew, unless he did this, there would be no way out of our sin mess. He knew that. Somebody had to do this. Somebody had to live perfectly. We couldn't live perfectly. Only he could live perfectly, so he came and lived perfectly. And then for living perfectly, he died. And there's a word for all that, and that word is another big doctrinal word, redeem. He redeemed us. You know what redeem means? It means he, he paid, it cost him. Redeem means he paid a price for us. You see where this is going. Biblical love means there's a price. There's a sacrifice. True biblical love is going to cost you, see? You give something up like Jesus gave up the glory of heaven. I see wives. They just don't want to stay. And, and those wives just want to stay home with their kids. It's the way God made them. And I see more and more of these wives going out to work just, to, just because there's nothing out there for their husbands. And I see husbands and I see dads. And they go out and they do not what they were trained to do. And they do something that's boring and something that's not challenging to them. And they spend long hours at it just to get enough money to make house pay and buy food and keep their heads above water. And the motive for all this stuff is always love, 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 love. It's always love. It's always sacrificial, see? Anytime you give something up that you want or change something that's part of your routine that really works for you, and you change or give something up, see, that is sacrificial love. And that's biblical love. Sacrifice is the nature of what our Lord did and who he was. And love knows no limits. Let me ask you this. Does your love know limits? Now, I'm not saying do something out of the will of God. The Bible would never advocate that. I'm not saying enable people. The Bible doesn't advocate that. But if there's a limit on what you would give the people you love, and maybe right now you want to think about one, two, or three people in your life, and you'd say, I'd go this far, but I wouldn't go any further than that. See, then I need to say it's not biblical love. So ask yourself, are there any limits to my love? Here's another thought that crossed my mind when I was writing this. I thought about the women that Jesus dealt with. One lady 
knew that she would find forgiveness and acceptance with him. And I don't have chapter and verse here. I'm just thinking about this right now. And she burst into a house, and she was a woman of the street, and this was the house of a guy named Simon the Pharisee. And Simon the Pharisee sitting there thinking, oh, if he only knew, if he only knew what kind of a woman this was, because she's repenting of her sin, she's washing his feet with her tears and drying it with her hair and all that stuff. And that happened a number of times in Jesus' ministry. We see that in the Word of God. And he didn't see these women. Now, you've got to understand, he was completely human. He was human. And he didn't see these women as a body. He saw each one as a special creation of God. And this is for guys, and this is for ladies, too, if it fits. And what I'm getting at is biblical love, true love, as we see it in the Lord Jesus Christ, as spelled out right here in God's Word, is pure. It's unconditional, it's sacrificial, and it's pure. And if you're involved sexually with someone you're not married to, and you're saying to yourself, I love you, then it's not biblical love. See, then I need to tell you, if there is such a thing as an unholy love, and you are involved sexually with that person, you're not married to them, if there's such a thing as an unholy love, that's an unholy love. Now, if you confess that Jesus Christ is your Savior, you need to quit. I mean, it's clear in the Word of God. I mean, I don't care who you are. I mean, even if you don't confess Christ, you say it's still wrong. You need to quit. It's not biblical love because the Holy Spirit tells us through Paul, 1 Corinthians 7, 9, it is better to marry. Get married first. It's better to marry than to burn with lust and there is a principle here that goes deeper, that we see the one we love as a special creation of God and not someone put there to meet our physical or any kind of a need. That person is a special creation of God, and that person is not there just to meet our needs, see? And that person, being a special creation of God, has hopes and dreams and that God has a unique purpose for them. And here's something else, that you're in his life or her life by divine design to bring something into their life that nobody else can bring. Because that person is special to God. And God brought you into that person's life. And you're going to give them something that nobody else can give them. And then when you look at this person, be it a him or a her, that way, and you treat them with that kind of an attitude, I mean, it is going to be biblical love. It is going to be real respect as you wait for marriage to consummate that relationship. It's going to honor God. God's going to bless it. And it's going to fulfill you in a way that you couldn't be fulfilled apart from marriage. And so biblical love is pure. Just one more, biblical love, about biblical love. Another, another quality, in Ephesians 5.1. Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly beloved children, and live a life of love just as Christ loved us. I mean, this is a whole lifestyle. Just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God, meaning his love was so God-pleasing, it was like a, pleasing, it was like a fragrant sacrifice. So biblical love is unconditional, it's sacrificial, it's pure, and we need to know this, biblical love is not easy. 
I got to tell you, my wife is my biggest supporter. She's also my biggest critic. And she'll tell me what I need to hear, and I'll slink into my pity party. I'll just go off by myself and pity myself, say, oh, poor me. But then, you know, I think about it, and I say, she loves me. And she wouldn't tell me this unless I needed to hear it, unless she wanted to raise that bar, see? Hey, but know this, man, know this. I mean, this, this, this is this serious. Now, come on, you got to get this, because the way you say it, your tone of voice, the expression on your face, the words you choose, how you say it, the time you pick to say it, that's everything. But true love will raise that standard. It will raise that standard of righteousness, man. See, and sometimes, listen, sometimes you're going to have to address an issue immediately. It's going to happen. You're going to see, man, I, I, I got to speak to this. And you're going to have to say a quick prayer. Lord, I got to deal with this. Help me right now. Don't do it without prayer. Even if it's a quick man, I'll tell you, Lord, help me right now. But hopefully you're going to see a pattern developing in a person. You're going to say to that person, um, you're going to say to yourself, man, this, this, is, this is a growing problem in his or her life. And I, I just can't ignore this thing and go on. Just have peace on the family. I can't do that. I just can't do that. I got to address this thing. In love, I got to address this thing. And so you take time in prayer and God will answer this prayer. And you say, Lord, give me the right time. Give me the right, a heart of love. Give me the patience and give me the right word. But get rid of this notion that love embraces everything. Part of love is that you desire to bring this person that you love in step with the will of God. You want Christ-likeness for that thing. You want Christ-likeness for that person. That, that's your goal. Here's the aspects of biblical love we've seen. There are so many more. This is just scratching the surface. We love people unconditionally and sacrificially. We love them with a pure heart. Do you see that the Father has brought you into that person's life, not to have your needs met, but to be a significant part of his plan and purpose for their lives, okay? And do you love him enough to raise the bar, to want him to walk along the path that, that, that God has set for him in his word? Think About It is sponsored by Real Life Christian Church. Real Life Christian Church meets in Endeavor Middle School, 22505 26 Mile Road, just west of North Avenue in Ray, Michigan. Sunday service starts at 10 a.m. Visit us on the web at rlcc.us. Never miss a single message from Pastor Rasper. Just go to faithtalk1500.com and download the Real Life Podcast. And until next week, may God's Word do a work in you. Real Life Christian Church. Get real.